Hi, my name is Stephen Sindoni. Thank you for tuning in to Stephen's World Talk Radio, May 3rd, 2012. Today's program will put the spotlight on free energy. I'm delighted to have as my guest today, Jerry Thomas, also known as JT to me and some of our close friends. Jerry, welcome to the show today. Greetings and uh, hello to everyone out there. Well, I'm very excited to have you on here, Jerry, because uh, I, uh, I haven't seen you now probably over a year, maybe uh, going on two years possibly. Uh, I like to begin this interview by allowing you to tell the viewers and listeners who Jerry Thomas is. Well, very good. Um, well, on on many levels, uh, I'm someone who's come a long ways. I uh, started out with a more conventional upbringing uh Got an electrical engineering degree from Cal Poly and pursued a normal uh, sort of technical career in Silicon Valley. However, I had an internal guidance and internal pressure to learn about different things, unusual things uh, that went beyond what our normal science teaches, uh, things that went beyond normal religious concepts, religious ideas. I felt that our Science and our religions were somewhat dogmatic, and, and in fact, the way most of that was taught was actually designed to keep us constrained, keep us all in a box, so to speak. So um, I started to pursue unusual and different things uh, and, you know, seek for myself uh, uh, answers to questions that were, were of interest to me, like, uh, you know, if in fact there, there were things beyond what we'd been taught in, in our schools and in our churches. How young were you when you, when you first got this uh, insight that there was more that met the eye? Well, I think there was an inkling uh, all along from the earliest ages, uh, you know, uh, but certainly where I started to get that mostly was when I was going to Cal Poly. I started to read uh, these books about this guy, Don Juan, written by Carlos Castaneda, and uh, that kind of piqued my interest about unusual things. Yeah, I think I read one of his books, uh, Don Juan Quixote, is that correct? Yeah, and, and again, they talked about these journeys, and I realized that um, a lot of these journeys were based on altered states, hallucinogenic, so forth and so on. Um, however, something unusual happened to me one day. Um, I was sitting in the bathtub, and uh, thinking about Don Juan, and as I stared in the water, as I sat there, the water started to turn this greenish phosphorescent color, and I was floating in this greenish cloud of energy. And uh, this very personal experience uh, was quite astounding to me that, that wow, something really was, was different here. Yeah, that is definitely uh, life-changing uh, uh, to have something like that happen. So yeah, I think what started to happen is I had a curiosity and then I started to have experiences that uh, started to reinforce my idea that things really were different than what we've been taught by our schools and by our churches and by our governments. Well, I'm not surprised that you're saying that because a lot of people who've gone through the conventional school system have come away disillusioned by what they've learned. Well, again, that's, that's what led me into <clears throat> some of these things. Um, I think what's different, um, Steve, about some of my experiences, a lot of people might hear that little story of me sitting in the tub with green energy. <clears throat> and what I have to point out is a lot of my stories, especially the ones I talk about in my book, Free Energy 101, uh, you know, most people would say, well, you know, maybe the guy was on drugs, so forth and so on, or drinking, or so forth and so on. And n none of that has ever been the case. You know, I wasn't sitting there in the tub having a peyote experience, for instance, so forth and so on. And unfortunately, there will be a lot of doubters and skeptical people who hear uh, about me, my stories, and think that perhaps uh, I, like them, have been doing a lot of drugs, and that just simply is not the case. I, I, I had these experiences from a very personal, heartfelt, uh, spiritual level, uh, not from a drug-induced level. Well, I like to, to start by saying I know you a number of years now, and I met you in California. Jerry, would you like to tell the listeners how you and I connected and share some of our experiences together? Yeah, indeed. <clears throat> well, my journeys uh, were such that I was following a spiritual path, which led me up to Mount Shasta on many, many occasions due to visions and guidance that I had been getting. And uh, so, of course, around two, three years ago, I, I returned to my journeys up here in Mount Shasta. 
uh, after uh, leaving uh, my research lab that was privately funded in Hawaii, where I worked with uh, Nassim Harriman. Uh, and uh, so when I returned, of course, I wanted to get up to Mount Shasta. And in doing that, um, we, we just found each other uh, rather, rather quickly, uh, it seems. Uh, you know, and uh, I forget if I bumped into you at Berryvale or exactly what happened there. Perhaps you can you can shed some light on that. I think we bumped into one another in Berryvale, and next thing you know, we're up on the mountain uh, by Panther Meadow, uh, having a spiritual experience. Not long after, on that same day. Yeah, that's correct. And uh, then, of course, you and I hit it off uh, because of the Mount Shasta connection. And of course, you started to tell me about your reason for being in Mount Shasta, and I shared my reasons uh, that, you know, I've been guided spiritually to come up here many, many, many times. I had already had many extraordinary experiences in the Mount Shasta area, and so uh, your interests and mine were similar as far as unraveling a lot of the mysteries of Mount Shasta, and then, of course, you decided to have me on a couple of your shows that you were doing while you were up here at that time. Right, yeah, I was doing a show, Legend, Mystery, and More, at the Siskiyou College in Shasta, and I believe we did at least four episodes together, and I uh, bonded with you, and it was interesting, because before we did our first episode, uh, just right after we met, you brought over to my house one of your inventions to use. Can you tell the listeners what the name of that invention was and its purpose? Yeah, that was a Tesla-based technology. We we call it the Energizer. <clears throat> and I had been using uh, a model that we had built uh, for about a year to get extra energy throughout my entire body. Uh, it's the type of thing you stand around. You don't have to touch anything. You turn it on, and it energizes every cell in your body. And it really is an amazing extra energy feeling, uh, much more healthy for people than drinking coffee or other stimulants. Uh, you know, I think everybody should be using these things. Uh, it's really remarkable stuff. Um, you know, uh, and you know, at that time, it was my personal unit, and I think I shared it with you. And, and you know, um, you can mention the listeners maybe what your experience with that might have been like. Well, my experience was I believe I had it for at least three, four days before I returned it to you, but I was feeling very, very uh, euphoric. I was very light. I was very clear in my thoughts. And uh, I was very much energized and at peace with myself that I hadn't experienced for a while. Uh, I had some things happening around that time where it was difficult for me. I guess I was looking over my shoulder a little bit, for lack of a better word, because of the fact that I was looking for uh, ancient civilizations. I was looking for tunnels and being in new surroundings, there were people that I was meeting, and I had to decipher first whether they were friend or foe, and uh, though you want to give people the benefit of the doubt, I was also a little leery of the fact who I would allow, you know, to, uh, you know, to be close with or be, to be confidential with, but I noticed those three days when I had your machine, it allowed me to feel a peacefulness within myself as though I was opening up my chakras, and uh, I just felt, though, that the energy that I was getting was very eclectic, and it was very helpful at that time, and I was kind of like sad that you took the machine back. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, you know, there's been a couple of companies that have made these machines available, um, and many of the listeners will be familiar with this type of technology. There was a company called Vibe was no longer in business, and these machines sold for $20,000 plus, and so they were a little bit pricey for people, and, and sadly, not many people have gotten to experience the energy and the effects from these machines, and, you know, I really wanted you to, you to feel that, to kind of get a sense of why I was so involved with these energies, these studies, because um, I felt that this was profound stuff that was going to help... Uh, uh, create a better reality, a better life for, for all of us, really. Well, you know, also, too, around that time we first met in our first conversation, you had mentioned about the project in Hawaii. Nassim was a name that you brought up, which I thought was unusual because Nassim is not a, a name that you every day. You talked about investors in Hawaii and you were developing uh, free energy technology. So while I had this piece of equipment, of course, and I was experiencing the benefit of this, I really wanted to know more. Can you expand on uh, your time in Hawaii for us? Yeah, we'll talk a little bit about that. Um, well, in the course of uh, 
you know, investigating free energy, working on some free energy inventions of my own. We say free energy to people, but what we're talking about is devices that produce uh, more output energy than you, the user, put in. Uh, a solar cell is a free energy device. Um, you know, you don't put any energy into a solar cell, and out energy comes when you stick it in the sun. And, you know, people get really kind of bent out of shape when they hear about over unity free energy. In engineering, we like to use the term coefficient of performance. And it's very, very common in heating and air conditioning to have heat pumps that have a coefficient of performance greater than one. Nobody gives this even the least, uh, the least skepticism or doubt. It's well known in that business that heat pumps have COPs two, three, four, and even greater, which means that even though you're putting in one unit of electricity, you're getting more units of heat out. And in the field of heating and air conditioning, this is not anything unusual. This is not anything out of the ordinary. However, when people such as myself come along and try to explain to people that you know we're working on or developing or inventing devices that produce uh, more energy out than we put in, people tend to get a little bit crazy about all that and say that we're violating all the laws of thermodynamics so and so on, when in fact you can go down to your local heating and air conditioning place any day of the week and get a heat pump with a COP greater than one and nobody is suing rain or some of these heating and air conditioning places over false claims or nobody's locking up your local heating and air conditioning guy putting him in jail for violating you know, the laws of thermodynamics. I mean, and, you know, that's really, it seems like what people want to do is they want to lock us up uh, for violating their, their sacred laws. Anyway, our gentleman in Hawaii, uh, a very wealthy uh, software uh, guy, decided that uh, he agreed with us that we're not violating the laws of thermodynamics. And my friend, Nassim Perryman, uh, uh, already taken an interest in my research and, and me helping him with his, uh, decided to include me in that uh, research development there in Hawaii. So now, Nassim, was, is he more better? Yeah, I would say that, you know, he's known for uh, his theoretical thinkings and theoretical ideas on cosmology and geometry. Um, and he's very, very, you know, good at that. And again, he just sort of self-educated individual uh, who got his uh, ideas from his own intuitions, researching a great many number of people. And I would say very, very bright in that area, and no doubt about it. Uh, what he liked about me is that I had already developed some unusual energy devices, unusual things that I um, convinced him, you know, these things were a good idea to work on. And uh, so we decided to work together. Now, uh, speaking for quite uh, a number of years. For, for, for a number of years now, right? Yeah, off and on for about 10 years, um, we, were, we were involved with uh, similar common researches and interests. So where did you first meet Nassim? Was it in, in California or was it in Hawaii? Uh, yeah, well, um, I was doing my research in San Jose, California on uh, unusual motors and generators, that sort of thing. And... Nassim showed up in the San Francisco Bay Area, and I went to see one of his talks, and uh, we just kind of hit it off right away, and he was uh, sort of running around in a van and, quite honestly, doing rather poorly financially, and I suggested to him, me and a number of friends, that he meet up with a guy by the name of Foster Gamble, uh, and that they might hit it off and, and actually make some progress together. So now, how did the name Foster Gamble... Uh happen on to you, that you would give that to Nassim? Well, again, I had mutual friends, uh, Randy Masters, a number of mutual friends, and we were all quite familiar with Foster, who lived in the area, uh, and, and we knew that he had interests in, in these things, and so uh, Foster had a lot of interest in geometries and was studying atoms and so forth and so on, and Nassim probably had some of the most provocative ideas in that area. Uh, as far as how Nassim had been putting together the bits and pieces that he had learned from Walter Russell and just so many different people. However, the angle I had with Tesla and Keeley and more of the energy people was, was these were areas that Nassim was, uh, hadn't quite put together yet. Gotcha. Well, yeah, and you know, th and that's the area that I want to discuss next. You also gave me a copy of your book, Free Energy 101, a history-making revolutionary breakthrough story, a communication 
a briefing, uh, can you share with the listeners uh, a little bit about the cutting edge free energy revelations that you share in this book? Um, yes, and th this is an area that I hope people really pay attention to. Uh, you know, there's so many different ways to tell that story. Uh, those who are real technical out there, those that have their fingers in the thick and heavy of this pie are familiar with Tesla, Keeley. Uh, they're familiar with terms like radiant energy or radiant matter and so forth and so on. Um, you know, as I rambled around the many years, I, I you know, had, had yet to meet anyone that was running their homes on a so-called free energy device. So uh, a gentleman came uh, to my knowledge uh, that, that he was actually doing that. He was running his home on free energy, and of course I wanted to meet him. And when we say free energy, again, people, I'm, I'm, you people who are listening, all the listeners, I'm talking about things that have a COP greater than one. They put out more energy than, than you put into them. So I have a question, Jerry. Was was this now this gentleman? Uh, you don't have to mention his name uh, if you don't want to. With, well, in the I book, I do. Okay. Uh, well, we're going to go on that in a little bit. But my question is: the unit that this man had invented was it a, a self-contained unit? For example, like a package air conditioning unit that's outside of the home, or exactly? Can you explain a little bit about what exactly he invented? Um, yeah, well, again, that's kind of why I wrote the book. You know, you're kind of getting into the topic of why I wrote the book in the first place. And when I, when I met this uh, fellow who had been a student of Keeley and Tesla, as as anyone might imagine, those are the kind of people you want to study to uh, study the masters, as it were. Um, the devices were sort of air conditioning size units that uh, some of them had moving parts, some of them didn't. And to be clear, there were a variety of devices, and uh, they kind of tipped the scales on our normal engineering and science thinking because uh, they ran in, in, a, in a manner that, of course, our science says that they cannot. And, and so there, therein lies the twist to the story is, uh, you know, at that time, 2000, 2001, 3, people were still extremely skeptical and negative about the, the possibility of a device that could produce more energy than it consumes. So this group, this individual um, who had these devices actually running their homes, heating their homes, uh, you know, th this just sounded unbelievable. And, and of course, they invited me out and I got to actually see these things running. Now, as a scientist, when you saw these things, I mean, uh, it defied conventional uh, electricity, did it not? Yes, and can I chat a little bit about that concept of conventional electricity to try to help people understand something here? Absolutely. Yeah, this, this is the gray area for most people. Um, there's been this in-the-box thinking that basically electricity is one flavor, in other words, you know, there's this teaching in the schools, et cetera, et cetera, that we have these electrons and they're negative and they just go from positive to negative or they're repelled by negative. You know, there's a real basic, basic uh, concept of what electricity is, uh, that it's just this, this simple sort of electron thing, positive thing, and that's that. And what uh, you begin to realize as you you learn the real truth behind electricity is it is many flavors, just like ice cream, uh, Stephen. Ice cream comes in chocolate, vanilla, strawberry, and, you know, the list is endless. You know, yes, it's all ice cream, uh, but the idea that electricity can have many, many flavors, many twists, many turns, that that, uh, that kind of might seem a little baffling to people that, that in fact, that, that electricity is not all the same kind of... Uh, Stuff. And so when, when, and that is one of the key points I try to get out in my book of the breakthrough disclosures, the breakthrough understandings that, you know, to get people out of this box that electricity is this simple little thing called electrons and, you know, pluses and minuses. Well, you're exactly right because I know in, in the early days of electricity, you had Edison who was promoting direct current and then you had Tesla and some of the other uh, inventors talking about alternate current and Edison went as far as to uh, to kill an elephant, alternating current to kill an elephant to show that uh, alternating current was not the way to go, that they should stick with his invention of direct current for the future, which I thought was like, wow, 
So you kill a uh, an elephant to prove this, and ultimately it turned out that Tesla's technology prevailed because we now use and enjoy alternate current. Correct. Well, the bombshell in the book, um, Steve, Stephen, is that there's a type of energy called dominant, and this is just something that is just as mysterious. It's exotic. It's an exotic term. Uh, you could talk to an MIT a graduate, you could talk to a Stanford graduate, and you would ask him, what is dominant electricity or dominant energy? And quite honestly, you would be hit by the most baffled look you would ever experience on the face of a highly educated technical person who simply knows absolutely nothing about Well, I know you mentioned in Chapter 4 of your book, Strange and Exotic Materials, and I, I guess that's where you preface uh, this information there. I was really intrigued by your book, uh, reading it, and I've read it a number of times, and the fact that I know you and, and, and I've had the privilege of working with you, doing a number of shows with you, uh, breaking bread with you, going up to the mountain together, and uh, having that machine, I know for a fact when people talk to me about free, free energy or, or that type of technology, I have to say to them, I beg to differ. I know that it exists. It's, it's like you know something that I've seen before. I've had my hands on certain things. I've been able to touch it and benefit from it. So it's hard for me to be a, a naysayer when I actually have had the benefit. I recently watched a movie that was released by Forster Gamble, and we were talking about him earlier. And in the movie, he was interviewing Nassim. And Nassim was saying the same things that you had been saying. And so that Thrive movie to me was like a tie-in. How does that movie completely tie in with your work with Nassim and Foster? And Because I felt like there was, they opened the door, these nuances, but I just felt that I wanted more. Can you kind of elaborate on what they didn't give us in that Thrive movie? Absolutely. Taking bits and pieces, well, you know, I mean, I was the third cog in the wheel. Um, there was a partnership between Foster, Nassim, and I, and we were the three partners who had agreed to work together to bring about this new energy paradigm. Me being way ahead of both of those guys when we met in 99, 1999, and formed our group, that did research in Santa Cruz, California for a couple of years, much of it funded and helped along by Foster himself, who, as he says in the movie, there are bits and pieces in that movie that he tells the audience, and I'll, I'll, I'll just chime into a little bit of that, where Foster says, you know, even he had doubts and skepticism about the free energy, and he said in there that when he first heard about it, he simply didn't believe it, and, and he's very clear about that, and he, it took him a while much to my consternation and much to my dismay for him to come around and get up to the same speed that I was, uh, which is that, that the free energy is real, of course. And, you know, I just didn't think it would take long for smart, intelligent, and educated people to realize that. And, and there was my uh, lack of estimation of how long it would take people to get this. You know, the fact that it took Foster 10 years to to get it where I had gotten it 20, 30 years ago, you know, that, that was, you know, much to my lack of support there. But the idea was we formed a partnership and, and I was the key technical contributor who was, you know, there to make it happen. And of course, we did in fact have some breakthroughs in, in uh, energy devices there that were very promising. It sounds like something happened at that point. Was the, was the plug pulled? Where did somebody get cold feet? or? Why did this not continue? Well, um, this opens a Pandora's box to what happens when you form partnerships with people. You know, on the surface, I think a lot of people really have a lot of respect and appreciation for Nassim and also on the surface, you know, and Foster's a marvelous person, of course. There, there was some internal quibbling between Nassim and I. You know, there, there were some, some problems there, some personal problems that led to uh, difficulties in all of us being able to continue to work together. Well, you know what, what I find in uh, being around people, that ego, you know, as much as people don't want to admit that they have one, a number of people have very large ones. They, they enjoy more listening to themselves speak than hearing their collaborative partners who want to share information with them. And that very well might be the case. Uh, in, in this endeavor that you had. Well, again, you know, after I sort of made the breakthrough, which, uh, you know, should I talk a little bit about that? Because it really is important. 
Absolutely. I'd like you to you speak your mind today. Well, again, you know, Foster, you know, put time and money into us, and, and I really appreciate everything he did for us uh, now because of his Thrive movie where everybody feels that he's really proactive uh, towards his free energy and stuff. You know, what, what I tell people is, you know, you can be proactive, you can support it verbally, but, you know, without the money on the table from folks, without the actual solid support, um, basically nothing's going to get done. But, you know, what we did get done, in other words, what he did get to see for his money was I was uh, developing a motor generator combination device. And what happened one day is I was trying out a variety of things. I did something that uh, in science and engineering is not supposed to happen. And what that was, was I had a motor, you know, that um, of my own design. And in, in electrical engineering, when you short out your generator, this is the worst thing you can do. This is known to be an absolute no-no. Okay, are you following me on that, Steve? Absolutely. I, I have a little electrical background in HVAC, so I follow you very closely, Jerry. So I can assure the listeners out there that if you go home or any of you go out to your garage or any of you take wire and cut the wire and short the two wires together and then plug it into your wall... I can assure all of you that this would be a very bad thing to do. This is called a short when you take two hot wires and stick them together. And everybody knows you simply do not do that because that's when you blow your circuit breakers in your house. That's when you burn up your generator. And, you know, once again, I, I'm going over this carefully to understand, get people to understand something because a lot of people lack a science background. And when we, energy inventors, tell them or show them something, they don't even realize why it's different or why it's important or why it's significant. So with that background and with that said, that, that it's well known in electrical art and skill that you do not short the generator coil. What I did there one day is I did the unthinkable. I took my generator coil on my motor and I shorted it. And that's when unbelievable things or strange things began to happen. Is that correct? Well, what is supposed to happen is it's called a load on the motor and the motor slows down and everybody knows this. Well, on that day that I shorted that generator coil, the motor sped up. So now the motor had a load on it, but not, not from a conventional electrical source. Well, um, yeah, it had a generator coil that was driving and under all normal and well understood conditions, a shorted generator coil loads up a motor and causes it to slow down. That's a well-known idea. Now, it, once that slows down, wouldn't it also affect the amperage and heat up the wires as well? Yes, it's well known that this condition, the motor draws more amperage, and, and the situation is self-destructing. And, and again, so you can imagine my surprise that when I shorted the wires on the generator coil, that not only did the motor not load up, it sped up and the entire system drew less energy. That's an amazing uh, discovery. It was, and, you know, I'm being rather bold in stating this here because, you know, you're not supposed to tell your secrets because then it, it, it ruins your ability to get a patent. For many years I kept this very, very secret because it really was my discovery, and, uh, you know, and by, by publicly stating it, I'm sort of ruining my chances to have a proper patent on it. Right now, do you own patents right now in your name, or do you, do you put in for patents with other people? No. The discoveries we made on the motor generator back there with Foster and the Sim in 2000-2001, there's been many others that have made similar discoveries, and I believe there are five different companies now that have started on all the things that I found. Many people say, well, you know, what have you done that's so great? Why should we invest in you? And you know, again, I was ahead of the crowd on a lot of that. And, you know, by no means am I saying I'm the only one that has ever discovered these things. Um, a lot of these discoveries go into oblivion, but when I discovered them, they were new to me and they were new to the industry and new to people. So you have to look at it that way. There were very few people saying and showing the type of thing that I was saying and showing at that time. Well, speaking of which, Jerry, give out the name of your book again, will you please? Uh, the title of my book is Free Energy 101, and I do now have a website on that. Well, great. Can you give people your website? Uh, let me help you out. Would that be freeenergy101.webs.com? Yes, that's that's it. Jerry, in your book there, I found fascinating uh, from, from chapter to chapter, you talk about weird electricity in chapter one, labs, inventors, inventions in two, 
Miracle Shamans, you've got in Chapter 4, Strange and Exotic Material. And in Chapter 5, was blew me away, was a flying dump truck. Yes, that is one of our exotic energy areas that has to do with one of the properties of dominant energy, this mysterious exotic form of energy that not even your best Stanford engineers or MIT engineers even know about. The exotic dump truck situation was a little bit different, though, than the dominant energy. It was a mechanical device known as an inertial propulsion device that was bolted to a seven-ton dump truck. The device lifted that dump truck straight up in the air, was consuming a few hundred watts of electrical power from a generator that was on the ground. That is an amazing feat. There's a little footnote aside on that. I tried to inform Richard Branson about that. You know, there's several of these uh, billionaire dudes that are starting their own space companies and, and they're wanting to put people up in space with rockets. You know, I've been stonewalled when I try to reach people like Richard Branson, when I try to reach Jeff Bezos, when I try to reach these people, I get stonewalled by their minions who have been educated at Stanford and MIT who don't think these things are possible that I'm saying. Well, I know that there are powers that be that do not want this technology to get out there because if this technology were to get out there, then there's no way to meter this type of energy. Is that correct? Uh, for the most part, and, you know, therein lies, can I kind of have a little political plug here on that? Point, Steve. You got it. Well, you know, what I, what I want to say to the listeners and everybody listening is it's really, really a time to put an end to the governments as we've had them. The governments do not have a right to extract money from people by every means of extortion and terror to support themselves in high living styles. You know, congressmen, politicians want to live the high life on the labors and backs of the people of their country. And you know, these political people do not have the right or the authority to continue to extract their living from us, the hardworking people of the world. And, you know, at some point I'm hoping that uh, people will learn that, that these governments have to be stopped and changed, and, and that's what the free energy will do, is they will return the power to the people and basically put an end to these tyrannical governments that exist worldwide. Well, there's another word in the dictionary that describes all parasites or parasitic individuals who, uh, who thrive off other people or who uh, take advantage of other people for their own selfish gain. Jerry, can you share a little information about some of the people you might have worked with uh, and uh, some of the inventions that you had firsthand knowledge on that you actually saw that actually did work? Yeah, you know, and I think I should start with my own because that's a good place to start. Of, of you know, when you mention how, who I am, and and you know, really what makes me different or special, maybe than than your average energy inventor. Who, quite honestly, I don't think there is such a thing as an average one, but. If, if I may, I invented a device in 1993-94 that was a solid-state device that used different coil arrangements, magnets, crystals. I was doing something that's a little different in engineering than we're normally taught in the schools. A lot of times we're taught to engineer based on the knowledge we've been taught. I was engineering on something a little different. I was engineering a little bit on the knowledge I was taught and a little bit on my own intuition. I call that gerry-nearing. Uh, I invented this device, and quite simply, it defied everything we've been taught in engineering and science. And, and quite honestly, Steve, I didn't even know what it would do when I, when I built it. Well, the fact that you built it was uh, definitely you had intuition as to uh, the direction. Sometimes you get divine intervention that leads you in a certain way down a certain path. The greatest inventions are made by because they're they're divinely led. It's the t you know the idea whose time has come. Well, yeah, and what the listeners are wanting to hear is what I'm going to tell them now, and I'm just going to go ahead and, and tell them what they've been waiting to hear. You know, everybody wants to hear something extraordinary, something marvelous, something that that will touch their heart and their soul. And you know, this this is probably this this story touches my heart and soul, and I got a hunch those that listening it'll do the same. So this magical, mystical device that I had no idea even what it would do, from the very first moment that I turned it on, that I played it, I had extraordinary visions in my, my mind, even with my eyes closed. It was like going to a 3D holographic theater, able to see things in a three-dimensional manner just as clearly and plainly as you see things with your eyes, only with my eyes closed in a, in a what 
a 3D holographic mind space, call it what you will. And so that was my first introduction to this unusual device that was followed on by being healed by the device, very bad uh, healing condition. And again, I think people are going to want to hear just a couple minutes of what happened there, Steve. Well, I think so, because I've had people who I've shared that story with and want, want to know right now, because I know people that are homeopathic doctors, so they would love to have a machine like that to offer their patients who've tried conventional medicine, conventional doctors, are sicker now than they were before they went to these doctors. A machine like this, Jerry, what would it cost you to build one? The one that you built, what kind of dollar figure did you attach to that? Well, I'm, I'm a little bit leery to mention that because it'll, it'll sound unbelievable to people, but perhaps I had $50 into the whole thing. This is amazing. Go ahead and tell people, let's, let, 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 me, let me tell people what happened there because when they hear it, it, again, like most of my stories, it'll sound unbelievable. So why don't I go ahead and describe for a minute or two what happened there, Steve? You've got the floor. Well, I was uh, lying down. Uh, the way that I would use the device is I, was, I would plug in spiritual music, music that touches the heart and the soul. The device was usually about two feet away from me. I did not touch anything. Nothing touched me. I had headphones on. The device was just a little energy manifester, a little device that somehow this dominant energy collected in. And this was my first experience with the dominant energy, this unusual energy that defies all the known laws of science and physics that we have been taught. But I lay there. Within less than a minute, um, I literally felt this energy, this unusual energy, this extraordinary energy coming out of the device, going into my body, going to my throat. It was a hot, warm energy going to my throat, which is where I had the condition. I was unable to speak. I was extremely ill. And then within less than a minute, that unusual, hot, warm energy that entered my body from this device, and I hope people are on the edge of their seats because you can imagine as I was laying there, not only was I on the edge of my seat, I was on the edge of my life experiencing something that quite honestly is something right out of a science fiction novel. So I lay there having just felt this hot warm energy come down the headphone wires, go into my right ear, go into the middle of my head, make a right angle turn go down to my throat and stop where it stayed for about one minute and completely and totally healed my throat in all ways. I was unable to speak a minute prior. A minute later, my voice returned perfectly, and I was completely and totally healed. Now, this energy that you experience in your throat area, if that energy force was applied to another area, let's say your heart, your back, your legs, your eyesight, could it also heal things such as those? Well, I would say the answer is yes. This was my introduction to this energy, my personal experience with this energy that then would allow me to have a position that very few other people in engineering and science who would be extremely envious of that position, this position gave me a position of what I called knowing. You know, people go around and say they believe this, they believe that. Oh, I believe. Well, this is not about believing, and I really want to make this clear to people. You can believe all day long, and it doesn't make anything true or false. It just, it's a belief. I was now in a position of knowing that this energy existed, knowing that it was what it was capable of. I was, I was in quite a bit of a pickle because, you know, when you get to where you know something, and, and this again, is what we, we are calling an aspect of the dominant energy. That is an interesting revelation. Jerry, if this technology is a reality, and I don't doubt it because I know you personally, what do we, the American people, need to do to be able to enjoy the benefits of this new technology? Well, I'd say the biggest crime that, that people do towards new inventions and new ideas is that they're needlessly pathologically skeptical they're needlessly pathologically negative. A lot of people, and in, in fact, even our investor in Hawaii, Doug Truxel, went to the world's smartest man, who supposedly is Stephen Hawking, and asked him uh, what he thought about free energy. And I believe Stephen was quoted as saying, it's not possible. And for that reason, people like Doug and other rich people refused to invest a dime or take interest in these extraordinary things. 
because some so-called educated smart person says that he, he thinks it's not possible or it's not possible when in fact these so-called educated smart people uh, quite simply don't even have a clue. And this is only based on his perception. You know, going forward, Jerry, what does Jerry Thomas, the scientist, the inventor, need to do to bring this technology to the world? I think I have an enviable position in the sense that I know a lot of these things really are true. Uh, when I later on met the inventor in Ohio who was working with the dominant energy, you know, what, what people have to realize why I wrote the book is because I had already come from a place of knowing it was true. And so I, I, I had a real tough time meeting anyone that actually was working with this energy and knew that it was true. And even today, 2012, people are only beginning to understand the dominant. And my book, I believe, is the first uh, place that, that, that it's actually been documented. Um, that it's actually been talked about. Speaking of which, Jerry, I want to plug it again right now because it's very important that the listeners and the people who watch this video when we put it out there get to go to your site, and that's freeenergy101.webs.com. That book that we're talking about, Free Energy 101, Jerry, it can be purchased in a PDF file. Is that correct? Yeah, um, on the website there. Yeah, people, I guess, what, how are we working this, Steve? They have to email me or something, and then we... Uh, you know, make their payment, and then they're able to uh, get a copy through their email. Exactly. That's how it's going to work. Uh, have you decided on what kind of price you want to charge for that? Well, I think if you were to actually go out to that website right now, you'd see it in 1995. We may or may not leave it there. I'm contemplating 1495. You know, I want people to get it. I want them to read it. You know, because part of you know, you ask, what can we all do? You know, the Thrive movie. What can we all do? Well. I can give it point by point. One, certainly, as, as Foster Gamble and, and smart people say, certainly people need to educate themselves with the proper information. And Free Energy 101 is one of the very few and proper places you're going to get the information from anybody anywhere on the planet. And I'm not saying that you know, to sound egomaniacal. Um, I happen to know it's true because I've looked the planet over for the proper information, and it just doesn't exist. Jerry, speaking uh, of true, I've got some personal things that have happened to me. And you being a scientist, I would like you to explain some of these things to me or tell me that they don't exist or just let me know what your, your view is on them, okay? Go ahead. Okay, this was interesting. I'm in... Uh, Olympia, Washington, we realized someone had been in my apartment and there were some things that were out of place and the cat was uh, freaking out because something just wasn't right. Now, animals kind of sense things. Yes, so, uh, I won't mention who it was with me, but we both looked at one another and we sensed the presence there. All of a sudden, my girlfriend and I looked at each other and we heard something, though we couldn't see this entity or individual, but what we both did was smell that the person farted, and next thing you know, like the fart stayed there for about a minute or so. I mean, this was like rank, and uh, we just like had to walk outside, but we realized that there was some someone somehow who had entered the apartment and who had left a very foul odor. Yes. Would you like me to talk about that a little bit? Absolutely. We've got a couple minutes. Well, again, this is a condition that uh, has come up many, many times. Uh, again, the new, what we call the New World Order, the bankers call them the wealthy people, the elitists. Uh, these people uh, have had untold sums of money to have the best scientists in the world uh, work on all kinds of technologies. Uh, and in fact, they've acquired uh, many so-called alien artifacts that includes invisibility, in time travel, so forth and so on. For, for any and all people out there who might be negative, skeptical, the scientific community, this and that, people that are thinking, oh, this is just poppycock, time travel doesn't exist, invisibility doesn't exist. Well, you know, uh, what I have to say to those people is you just don't have the facts. You, you don't know what you're talking about. You know, science has been wrong more times than it's been right. Science said airplanes would never fly. They were wrong about that. People really need to start to think about the idea that when they go around with this stuff in their head where they say that that's not possible, that's not possible, so they dismiss it out of hand and marginalize it, uh, when in fact 
the new world order, the military industrial complex has all this technology, what you were encountering is uh, the invisibility technology which the NSA has and a variety of secret organizations have. They don't call them spooks for nothing, uh, Steve. Uh, they're called spooks because they flip on their little invisibility belt thing and then they can be in your room without you seeing them. Well, speaking and, of which, uh, I wrote a book. Actually, I wrote. I have a movie out there called Stop Marconi, and it's about uh, some of the things that happened to me. But I was traveling back from Washington State to New York, and my brother was uh, coming out of the hospital. My mother's in a nursing home. And I kind of uh, was in danger the whole way. I had been followed the whole way. They tried to stab me, and people were trying to hurt me. But there was these agents who I determined uh, were following me on the bus. And in each major hub that we got to, this one guy would go meet somebody else. And there, was, there were two guys following me, but one of them came over to me and told me that the other fellow was meeting with an agent. And I'm looking over, and he says he's talking to him over there, but you can't see the guy he's talking to because he's got an right, invisibility right. belt on. But I actually right. saw him having a conversation as though he was talking to someone, but I could not see the other person there. But this went on uh, for about 2,000 miles until I got to Chicago, until uh, I was able to get on a different bus. Yeah, and you know, people need to be aware of this. Um, the free energy inventors, a lot of people in secret laboratories, these uh, secret people have this extraordinary technology. They're able to teleport. They're able to have invisibility belts. They can be right next to you without you knowing it. And and the more skeptical and negative people are about this, you know, it's ignorance that can and will be used against them. People have got to cast aside their ignorance that, that has been propagated upon them by the schools and by the governments to keep them from knowing what's really going on. Yeah, one last thing I'd like to share with you that people need to know. I, I can be on a mic headset and I've been sent waves to my head that affecting me where it if I have fillings that are mercury fillings, all of a yes. sudden my teeth hurt tremendously and I keep getting woken up every two or three hours in the night because of what was sent through my ears. So all of a sudden I'm realizing that something is being sent over my computer on the airwaves because someone does not want me to speak or someone doesn't want me to have a radio show trying to affect my health. The other day I got a message that I was to be sent a silent heart attack. One of the valves of my heart, when I tried to deep you know, rhythmically deep breathe, all of a sudden I felt a restriction. So whatever email I got, not that it was auto-suggesting that I will myself to start feeling that way. There are things out there that are happening that the listeners have no clue that's being perpetrated on people such as myself who are truth seekers. Yes, that's correct. And again, you're opening up another Pandora's box about what the NSA, CIA, and all these people have done. They they actually train what they call psychic assassins. I'm not the first one to say this. There's been books written about this. Uh, the psychic assassins are taught to target the heart uh, to cause heart attacks or the brain to cause these things. These overly religious people, these overly skeptical, pathologically skeptical negative people who don't think any of this is true, do, you know, they're just, you know, I've got to say, you know, you got this thing I call in my book, Monkeys in the Zoo. You know, um, people have been taught that these things are not possible. They should think about why they've been taught that. It's so that uh, these people that do these things can get away with these unspeakable crimes against humanity with impunity. Um, obviously, if you don't think they, these things are real and it's all just make-believe science fiction, then they're able to get away with it without Im even, you know, raising anybody's eyebrows. And that is the point of why they don't want people to know about these things, whether it be invisibility belts or psychic assassins, because they use all these techniques, they use all these technologies against us, and with our ignorance of not even knowing that they exist. Well, I'm glad you brought that up, because there were people that used to say to me, you know, you know, at first I thought I was you. You were paranoid, or you were like Mel Gibson for conspiracy theory. Realize you're very rational. You, you're not excitable, and whatever you say, you can usually back up. And I will say right now, it was because of my spiritual intuitive ability to be able to clear myself of some of these energy, do my spiritual work every day, and go inside within to draw from my core essence 
that I've been able to rise above all these things and to be able to be here today with you and be able to have this great conversation. And hopefully people out there will get it. Jerry, give out your website one more time, please. Oh, we're talking about um, freeenergy101.web.com, is it? Yes, that, that's it. Jerry, I want to thank you today. We've got about three minutes left here, and uh, I'd love to bring you on again to do uh, part two or part three to talk about your book. Can we do this again sometime soon? We certainly can. Do, do I have any more time left? or? Yeah. You've got about three minutes here. Um, well, again, we were you, you asked that question about what can people do. Um, I'm really sad that the guy in Hawaii, Doug, withdrew his support from my free energy research. Uh, we would hope that he would find interest again. But, you know, there are a lot of people with a lot of money that can make this happen. You know, um, we can bring free energy to the world for uh, millions of dollars, not billions, and, and liberate the entire planet. People wonder, what's it going to take? It's going to take a little money on the table. You know, there's a lot of people out there saying, you know, don't support the free energy inventors. They're a bunch of scammers, con artists. That's just nonsense. They're, they're, the people I write about in the book are real. I'm real. You know, and for people to think that it's not going to take one dime to bring free energy to the world, and anybody asking for money is a con artist or a scammer. These people are insane. No, no company, no car company runs with zero dollars. They bring you cars every day. They bring you food every day to bring people any kind of product, any kind of service, it costs money. You know, and, and so people who say that anybody asking for money for their research or to bring it to the world is some kind of con artist or scammer, these people are just plain insane. So uh, you know, the, the money people uh, of good heart, good mind, good intentions, people are, are going to have to come together, foster gamble some of these people and actually get some money on the table to make this happen. Where someone could contact you if they want to put their money on the table and make this world change for the better. Yeah, again, my uh, my email is JT's Place, J-T-S-P-L-A-C-E at yahoo.com, and I really ask people, only only serious real people, to to pursue that. You know, I I really you know I give out my personal email there, not to be inundated by foolishness. Jerry, I want to thank you very much for taking the time today to share all this information with the listening and viewing audience that will see this. And I encourage anyone out there who's listening who really wants to see change, who wants to see the things happen in America, not just talk about it, be about it, be part of this new revolution. Because in your book, Jerry, I will just quote this uh, before you end, God saves souls, but God isn't going to pay your electricity bills. I want to thank you very much for coming on today, and I want to thank you, the listeners, for tuning into an episode of Stevens World TV Talk Radio. So, Jerry, it's been a pleasure having you on today, and I hope to have you on very soon. All right, let's do this again. Thanks, Jerry.